0: One of the big keys of sustainability is reducing, where we're trying to reduce impact, reduce energy, water use, you know, and that's what operations is too, is how do we not let things get out of control, right? Because you're, you're trying to provide the best value to the client, you know, with a reasonable fee and you're we're in business, we're trying to make money, you know, so how do we do those things, keep the value? The other thing that's an overlap, really, both of these are about people. You know, on the operations side, it's really about our staff and serving our client. And on the sustainability side, to me, you know, it's about we want to have a place for our children and their children and their children that, you know, they can enjoy being. And that's not just on the environmental side, but the places that we live and work. Welcome to a best practice A show where we interview leaders in the building industry to unpack the tools, strategies, and tactics they use to run great organizations.
1: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Alan Schaefer, COO and Chief Sustainability Officer at Moody Nolan in a conversation about how to design sustainable operations. So Moody Nolan is the largest African-American owned and managed firm in the country and was the 2021 recipient of the AIA Architecture Firm Award. As COO, Allen partners with firm, leadership, and staff to create operational efficiencies that allow Moody Nolan to deliver project excellence and high value to clients. He's responsible for implementing established day-to-day operations strategy veracity of project financial controls and assures positive results from firm operations. In his role as chief sustainability officer, Alan brings more than 20 years of experience in addressing the impact of integrated design solutions on environmental, social, and financial aspects of projects. His background encompasses a diverse portfolio, including sports, higher education, corporate office, civic, and healthcare on a national and an international level. Special thanks goes out to Latoya Nelson kamdang Latoya is director of NY operations at Moody Nolan, and she helped us set up this conversation. We're actually going to be bringing on Latoya and her colleague Dawn, who I'll mention later in this chat in a few weeks. I haven't announced it yet, so this is the first time you're hearing about it, but I'm very excited about this. It's, it's going to be an awesome return episode of Moody Nolan as we focus on New York specifically in October for October. So we've got some other really incredible guests for that month. So with that, thank you very much for joining us today, Alan.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, so I'd love to start with this question that we've been asking in our community interviews in general, which is, what is your lens on practice?
0: This is a tough question. There's a lot going on right now in our practice with the amount of work that seems to have been on hold or held back by clients uh, last year. But I think for me, our lens has really been trying to think more into the future. We think our industry is really ready to really take on a challenge of doing things differently than the way we've been doing things for the past hundred years. I mean, construction has been essentially done the same way for quite a while and we've got a shift. I mean, our clients are demanding that our delivery methods Change and this, you know, in we, I'm talking in general, and the from the from the financing to the design to the construction, the turnaround time that it's taking, that has always taken us to do that, I think is really being challenged. And I think our industry, including the construction industry's issue, is we really have never done a lot of research and development. And how do we do this differently? There's there's always been. You know, people have been trying to do things a little bit differently. You know, there's, you know, people are doing building buildings out of, you know, with robots and stuff, but it's really not, it seems to always go back to what we're comfortable with. We're starting to feel the pressure that that clients and I think are in our industry, we're ready to shift. So I think that is something that we're trying to position ourselves to be able to be part of that shift.
1: What's your approach to leading operations and sustainability at Moody Nolan?
0: To me, this is my years have always, it's about communication, either in operations or in sustainability. You've got to be able to communicate clearly up and down the line. And that clear communication is about people really understanding, using the same word. We're having these conversations about, use a word that everybody in our industry uses, market, office, studio. We use those words, but then have we defined for us, what that means. So that when we talk about a market, you know, somebody may think that that means a physical office place and not the geographical business development area. So those communication protocols, scheduling, consistent touch base calls, I think is something that I've gotten more used to. They seem like they take time, but when you've got them scheduled and they're short, and actually you create... You know, even if it's quick, short agendas. You know, I talk with our CEO just he and I every other week. We typically we keep a little uh, Teams page where he and I'll topics as we go along through the week, real quick. You can do that with your phone. You know, when it comes across, you don't forget, and then we look at that real quick and say, okay, we've got twenty minutes. What are the top two that we need to go through together? So, you know, our executive team, we get together every morning for 20 to 30 minutes again to talk about key issues um, that we need to address right now. We started at the beginning of COVID. And I mean, it started out from the, uh, I'm sure most people on here had to deal with the same thing. You know, we went from 210 people in 11 offices, 200 and to 200 people at home in three days. So, you know, how do you do that? We had lots of issues of what do we do with this? So the leadership to me is about communication at all levels.
1: What's your typical work week, month and quarter in your role? I like hearing about some of these call cadences, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about that work week, that month scale, and then that quarter scale.
0: Well, there's nothing typical. The other thing about my role as chief operating officer, it's new. Um, I've been in this role for about a year and a half. Moody Nolan never had a specific chief operating officer. We had various individuals taking on those tasks. Um, but as we've grown to this scale, our chairman and, and CEO determined we needed somebody specific to that role. So, you know, I'm an architect by training, led projects, all of those things that and uh, helped lead a studio of, you know, 18, 20 people. But now it's to scale that up. So that's, you know, of course... Uh, Our CEO and I had a plan going into January of last year, and we got through, you know, a month and a half, and then it blew up. My typical day is really, like I said, I've got standing meetings that I've set up with our chief financial officer, our HR group, our technology group, talking about staffing. And, you know, I get, so trying to be consistent about those and saying, you know, we're using those to talk through and make decisions on topics. So those are, they're not every day. Uh, they're typically either once a week or once every other week. So I sort of have those standing meetings that I have and then all that I get filled in. Can you be on this call? And I've got these answers. So it's organizing the emails to either set up meetings that we have to talk through, answering those. And then I get phone calls and I'm still working at home. I go into the office maybe once a week now for the past month or so. Part of that is purposeful. I've been able to control my time better here because uh, Teams is, while being, uh, we use Teams mostly for our communication. Um, but there is a value to being able to schedule. You know, somebody can't just walk in on me. They call me, but I don't have to take the call necessarily. And in general, Moody we Noah, we're have we still very much flexible hybrid. It's, we haven't set any specific requirements of our staff. So we're trying to be very flexible across the firm. So my daily changes, you know, depending on what needs to be done, I have, you know, to get things done is usually before or after hours, you know, so trying to start 7.30, 7.00, 7.30, getting things done before those meetings start, uh, and then, you know, after 5.00 to get the things I need to get done. Quarterly, we well, monthly we we talk, we're setting up more stringent structure about reviewing performance. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, but trying to be consistent about the data that we're looking at, evaluating that, and then talking to folks about what that means. So that's where I wanna be monthly. If it's billings, collections, staffing, you know, dealing with the issues all related to those to help our studios engage in those conversations. How do we move forward with that? And then quarterly, we've always had quarterly meetings. The uh, senior leadership has gotten together every quarter for as uh, long as I've been at Moody Nolan, which has been 11 years. Uh, and I understand these go Moody Nolan's 38 years old. So they've been going on for at least 30 years, from what I understand. And in those meetings, we focus, they've gone on a as we've grown, they've really changed in, in focus. We do a big summary. Uh, chairman gets on, talks about the state of the firm. He sees things, how the leadership is seeing things move, informing folks of, you know, here's where we are financially, here's where we are project-wise, staffing-wise, those sorts of things. And then over the last year and a half, we actually, this Teams thing has really helped us with these meetings because Teams allows us to break quickly into sessions. We, we have Breakout sessions. There's probably fifty to seventy people on these. We break them into groups. We have a setup call. We actually use Miro uh, as a tool for the last four sessions. It was great. Of here's an issue. Let's we take an hour, hour and a half. Get into the weeds. Outcomes. Here's what we want to do. Here's suggestions on what actions we want to take. And so, and then in, in, in on quarterly, what I'm doing as operations is is Talking about what's coming up, projecting out for the next six months on staff, where are we at financially? Talking with the CFO and human resources about how we may want to act to that. And then myself, along with our managing partner, then we go back to the partners. uh, We're a partnership and say, okay, here's the data that we have. Here are the issues we're seeing coming up. Partners, what is our big picture strategy here. And then we can take that back and implement those strategies. So um, it's really every day, it's micro stuff. And then the big stuff, pushing it out to weekly, monthly, and quarterly.
1: What was the state of the firm when you joined Moody Nolan?
0: So I joined you know, 11-ish years ago. So that was the middle of the recession. So I looked up some, you know, in that time, 20, 20, 2009, about 7,000 architecture jobs were being lost a a quarter. So I was part of that. I was, now part of the reason I was brought on to Moody Nolan, uh, this is one of the things I love about the firm, we're extremely diverse in our project types. So that Moody Nolan, during that recession, we may have lost, you know, five to six people. We didn't lay anybody off. Um, You know, we lost people through attrition, but I was able to be added at that time because they had work in that it was in the sport world. So they had a need. They had work that they were short on staff and I was able to, to join them. So at that time, Woody Nolan was struggling like everybody else, but we were actually in a, in a pretty good position compared to other firms. And then um, we were able to you know, solidify that. And then we've just been growing ever since.
1: What's really fascinating about your current position is this joint chief role, COO, which is more common, but then also chief sustainability officer. And the fact that they're both of them are the, the same person is so fascinating. I'm curious where you see operations and sustainability overlap. And I'm curious also, where do you see them as distinct?
0: This was a great question, by the way. I think I looked at it as where it overlaps is. You know, to me, this is one of the big keys of sustainability is reducing where we're trying to reduce impact, reduce energy, water use, you know, and that's what operations is, too, is how do we not let things get out of control, right? Because you're, you're trying to provide the best value to the client, you know, with a reasonable fee and you're we're in business, we're trying to make money, you know, so how do we do those things, keep the value? The other thing that's an overlap, really, both of these are about people you know, on the operations side, it's really about our staff and serving our client. And on the sustainability side, to me, it, you know, it's about, we want to have a place for our children and their children and their children that, you know, they can enjoy being. And that's not just on the environmental side, but the places that we live and work. So the, you know, where they're distinct, I think the, um, I always saw that sustainability is about generating solutions that don't necessarily go project to project. You know, you're trying to create solutions that are addressing client goals and the solution is not always the same. It's, you know, 15 years ago, the big energy solution was geothermal. That's, oh, that's the answer. No matter what the project is, that's what you were doing. Well, and that usually turned out not to be the case. So you were always using, yes, the solutions that you were used to, but you were always challenged to, What is the best solution for this project? And operations is really not that. We need consistent but flexible processes and procedures so that people, especially across multiple offices, multiple studios, are being consistent so we're not recreating the wheel all the time because that's just a waste of time. So to me, that's the differences that I've seen between the two.
1: Staying a little bit on this topic, for firms that are looking to build out their operations leadership where do you think that they should look? And I'm curious if you think that sustainability might be a strong talent pool for ops leaders that maybe others are not seeing.
0: Again, this was another interesting question because I I know two of my colleagues uh, uh, at other firms, they had similar roles where they were both operations and sustainability. And they didn't last very long that way because as they explained to me when I talked to them about it over the past few years, those roles have really expanded for both in their firms and for Moody Nolan. And it just got to be too much for one person. So, you know, Moody, you know, we just hired somebody, a junior person in the sustainability part of our firm to help do that. I'm looking at higher level stuff now, and we just moved somebody else up to a director position where she's dealing on more of the day-to-day project stuff. So, and I think part of it is, uh, why is that? Why was that the case for them? And, why was that necessarily the case for me? And I think to me the connection, it's a diversity in thought. And so, to me, sustainability has always been about thinking about being able to think about things in, in large scale and then making connections that others may not be seeing and how to integrate a design solution that may be different than what you always do. you know So what are really the connections between what the goals that the client has and how do we get to a better solution? You know, because it's always interesting to see how an energy solution is not just about the HVAC system. And it's about making there may be something outside that, and you need the landscape architect and the civil engineer to engage in a conversation about energy. Those kind of connections to me are what I've seen in sustainable design leaders. And I think that sort of thinking is what you need at operations because you're making connections at the operations of things you never really. Thought about before as a project leader, or you know, you're focused on marketing or just design, and you start going, well, "We've got to make." We're getting low on. How does technology then impact the design that we're doing? They absolutely do. Having that knowledge and that experience with the design process helps you then talk to the the IT and computer people about why we should be doing this or challenging them to investigate how we can do that differently. And what does that look like? So for me, if you're looking for an operations lead or a sustainability lead, I think you're looking internally first, because one thing about operations is, you know, even if you want to change things, if you're in business, you're doing something good. You can't lose those and the people you have internally understand that. They understand why that's a value. And so even though you may want to tweak certain things, you're not necessarily looking to change everything. If you're bringing somebody in from the outside, their first instinct may be everything's broken. We got to change it all. And there's got to be a balance. And I think that internal, having that internal person who understands the firm culture is really helpful.
1: In a few weeks, we're going to be talking with your colleagues, LaToya Nelson-Kamdang and Don David-Pierre, who are leading the New York office. I'm curious what your working dialogue is with LaToya and Don, especially in those different uh, time scales like the quarterly or monthly mm-hmm. or, or weekly.
0: Yeah, and, and you're going to have a great conversation with them. Uh, there's been so much going on in New York. New York is our New York office is fairly new. It's five-ish years old. And Latoya has been with us for almost two years now the, as the leader there. And that office has grown from two, three people a little over a year ago to we're 20 now there. So incredible growth. So what does that mean? How do you deal with that kind of growth? So that's what we talk about. We've been in a WeWork space uh, or WeWork type. I don't think it's exactly WeWork, but we had a you know collaborative space that we were in. Up until COVID hit and COVID, everybody went home and they, we, they so she's hired, <laughs> we've hired that many people. I think they've all been together once just because of New York and, but we're, we're going to be moving into a new office in October. Well, hopefully things are in a position where we can get some of those folks actually into the space. So looking for that space, you know, what kind of space do we want? How big should it be? Thinking about the future. What kind of people do we want in those space? What kind of projects are we pursuing? So all of those things that we've been talking at varying uh, levels. So big strategic, you know, monthly and quarterly when we talk with the bigger firm. But then even on a daily basis, hey, we've got a need for this. What are we how are we going to deal with that? You know, hey, those computers that we're supposed to get here didn't get here. Now what? So we talk about those issues. Recently, it's been really when needed, uh, and which has been fairly, fairly often. So we do have, I try to touch base with our operations leads in each of our offices, at least quarterly, but it usually ends up being more than that because we have issues that we need to deal with.
1: What's an interesting success as a result of that growth from two to 20, or maybe just another development underway, like as you're trying to plan for you know, as the New York office is trying to plan for that move potentially hybrid or, you know, to some degree as COVID was standing, that we should make sure to discuss with Latoya and Don.
0: I think the type of work that Moody Nolan is interested in doing, which is, you know, urban kind of focused with um, community-based, I think those, you know, they've been coming to us I mean, Latoya's got a, and Dawn both have wide networks in New York, but there's you know it's a monster city with lots of uh, work going on. But we've had people coming to us with the understanding of the type of work that we're trying to do, which is what they're trying to do. I mean, we have a philosophy that's called responsive architecture. It means that we're trying to respond to the needs of the client and what their goals are, and how can we serve that. In New York, it's, it's you know, how do we serve the community? So they've got some great experiences with, you know, some pro bono work that was done actually during uh, last year that was pretty incredible about how do you create public spaces that are safe for doing work and study? And um, that was a big collaborative effort between multiple design firms and, and others. So I think those are the things that we've seen a really exciting success so far in our ability to engage the New York market. And that's kind of work that we've always been interested in doing.
1: That's really interesting. When Latoya was connecting us, she mentioned how you're leading current macro strategy at Moody Nolan. I'd love if you could talk a little bit about what that is, what it means, and what kind of questions you've been working through at the macro strategy level.
0: I think the two big things that we're working on at a macro level is structured growth. So you know, we are now over 260 people. Uh, we started the year at 220 and we've been growing every year for the last five years, pretty steadily. And we're looking to continue to grow, but we want it to be structured. We don't wanna grow just to grow. We wanna move into markets that I just talked about that, were, that are have the capacity to do the type of work that, we're, that we really would like to do that, are, that is about community, and providing uh, you know solutions to, to clients that are really meaningful and valuable to them. And so, you know, sometimes they try to be structured about your growth, about where you want to grow. But most of our growth has has come out of a project. So you know, we were in New York because of our collaborative effort that we had on the Javits Center with TVS Design, and we're in Boston right now because of, of we were engaged in a project there. With Elkisman Freddie on a hotel. So, you know, we weren't necessarily planning on being in Boston. It was one of our goal cities, but that phone call made that that difference. Now, in growing through the project typologies that that we're really interested in, and our other strategy along with that structure is diversity. And what we mean by diversity is not just diversity of gender or in race, it's a diversity of project typology. It's a diversity of thought. We're really interested in working with different types of consultants, consultants that are challenging us and that allow us to challenge them. We want a diversity in client typologies. Again, I talked about, we don't have that diversity of client and market allows us to grow and to be a little bit more steady. You know, so when one market is down, there's usually another one up. Well, we have the ability to move from between those, so that diversity in diversity in people, and again, when we talk about diversity in people, it's their, you know, their background, their education type. You know, um, our director of HR is actually a lawyer, right? So she brings a very different perspective on issues than maybe an HR director that was purely educated in that. So that's what we mean by diversity. It is all of that. And we believe that that diversity provides us with the ability to give clients a very different perspective and a solution that really meets what they're trying trying to get to.
1: It's interesting to hear about some of the success stories like in Boston and New York, but I'd love to hear about perhaps the most famous internal success stories like nationally or at the headquarters at Moody Nolan that the firm like actively tries to recreate maybe in different markets. But I'd love to hear like if there's a one or a few, the most famous internal stories that Moody Nolan has been basically repeating for a while or is really trying to repeat now that it was a recent success.
0: Kurt Moody is the founder and uh, he's now the current chairman of the firm and he likes to talk about firsts. So you introduced us with the the largest African-American owned firm in the country. So there were a lot of firsts that came along with him. Part of the reason Kurt started this firm is because he was, he saw an opportunity to be the first, you know, he started in 1982. So in that time frame in Columbus, Ohio, there were not, there were very few African-American owned architect and engineering firms. And he thought he could do better uh, and that he had the ability. So one of our uh, game changer for us, uh, we actually call them breakthrough projects, uh, was the Scene Center at Ohio State University. So this is the basketball uh, venue for the Buckeyes, 20,000 seat arena. Uh, this was 2000-ish kind of time frame. We, as a firm, we had done a lot of sport work since the 80s, but we'd never done an arena. We'd never done that scale of project you know, Kurt played basketball for Ohio State back in the 70s. So he had a very, this was personal to him. So that project, you know, we developed a team, we had a, you know, a bold sport expert on the team. But we were the lead architect, we did the design work. And that really pushed us forward of showing we can do these, this kind of work. And we've had other firsts since then. And, you know, hopefully we we may be on the cusp of another one here pretty soon, where, you know, I think part of that is those first, though, are always collaborative with somebody else, be it a client, a community, uh, another design firm, to really push that envelope of what is able to be done. So that's the most exciting internal that Kirk, always comes back to me. They didn't think we could do it. We did it.
1: What's an integrated design solution coming back to your sustainability basis that you're most proud of where Moody Nolan synthesized environmental, social, and financial issues.
0: For right now, that, that project is in Cleveland. We did a, a project for the university hospital system. It's uh, called Rainbow Center for Women and Children. The university hospital system, They are their main hospital is on the east side of town. It's in a really depressed part of town. That used to be the core of, of the city way back, and it's really struggled since the 70s. Their chairman and and leaders at university hospitals, they've been really making an effort over the last eight to 10 years to engage in the community and and serve part of the community that's really underserved. And in this case, you know, children and and women in that that part of town. So they engaged us for doing this project. It's about a 40,000-square-foot building that has a diversity of programs in it. It's it's mostly clinics that serve that community. So part of our solution that was um you know really driven by the the health system, it wasn't just let's plop a building over here. The the site was very purposeful. It was located not on their main campus. It's close, but it is out in the community. It was put on a a site that has been a, a blighted site for that's been that way for 25 years. Something it was along those lines, but it's a major intersection. So there's uh, the main bus system. There's just uh, runs right down the that street. It allows a lot of these people do not have access to a car, so they would get there by by bus. We had multiple community meetings where we engaged the community with the university about what. So it wasn't just about from a design solution standpoint. It was mostly about program. And the university system was really interested in what kind of women-based program in clinics would really help them and how do you set them up? So it's not just about we have a space for who are expecting. So, But what other support programs? So it's not just about the medical side. It's uh, mental health. It's job security. It's... Um, educational programs. So those we work with them to help develop the program in detail and then created a solution that engaged the neighborhood. So the building is inviting. And uh, and then they were interested about how that building along with the program is giving back to the community. So there's park amenities that are part of the project that are, the community can use. We use those park amenities to help with stormwater from a sustainability standpoint. The project achieved lead Platinum, so it has a small energy footprint. The materials are healthy inside to, you know, again, to support health. And there's educational elements to it. Part of that back to the community is how does a facility, a building, a physical thing, help support health? energy. So there's um, education on using photovoltaics to provide energy back and describing the materials, the are for health and the landscape itself. You know, these plants are native to Cleveland. We don't need to water them, you know, this time of year uh, when it's, uh, of course it's a wet year, but you know, when there's not as much rain, uh, usually it's dry in Cleveland beginning this time, you know, so you want plants that can survive this and then be ready again next year. So all of those things were part of an educational program that that was put together.
1: What are some of the most critical operational processes at Moody Nolan?
0: I think the, to me, the biggest ones are, it's kind of what I just sort of talked about is delivering design solutions for our clients. It's what we do. So how do the operations support the technology we provide to getting appropriate staff? And then the staff is that part of it. We can't do any of these things for our clients without really talented, smart people and treating them in a way that wants them to stay here and wants them to build and wants them, you know, giving them the ability to use their talents. To me, those are the two critical things that we're trying to do from an operation standpoint. We're support of the design talent that we have uh, in the firm.
1: What have you seen as maybe the most critical project financial controls? to keep a close eye on?
0: Again, two things to me have always stood out. One is clients are looking to us to help them understand and control construction budgets. So how do we as the architectural team and our whole design team help them understand financial controls that they need to have in order to meet their budgets? And then internally, it's about the work plan. It's about us understanding our contract, what we're hired to do, setting a work plan that allows us to do the work, but within the fee structure that we have, and then you got to monitor it. doesn't matter what work plan you put together, it's always gonna change. So you gotta be able to understand how to adjust, uh, but you can't adjust if you're not monitoring. So to me, those are the two critical financial controls that we keep an eye on weekly, monthly, quarterly basis.
1: And when you're watching monitoring and adjusting internally, how do you assure that the firm's actually getting positive results from uh, these operations?
0: I'll go back to that communication. So once we've got expectations of our project leaders about what they're supposed to be watching and feeding information back to a larger but smaller group of people, and then there's on the, you know, the firm-wide side, it's we have data sets that we're looking at to monitor, you know, where's that cliff coming? Where's that hill coming to say we've We've got to ramp up or what are we going to do if if we're not able to secure enough work to get to this point where, you know, there's a cliff. So it's that assurance has to come through watching these data sets and getting the data in to the systems that we use to begin with so we can project those things out and then communicate with each other of this is what we're seeing. Are you seeing the same thing? Yes, no. Why? And then asking the question to the leaders about what are we going to do about it?
1: You mentioned earlier structured growth. How do you design sustainable operations?
0: You have a strategic plan from a sustainable operation standpoint. What do you want to achieve? Because those operations go from, is it project-based stuff? Is it things that you want to do as a firm itself? Do you have a recycling program internally? Because those are really two different things. The things you do for your clients on projects and what you do as a firm and how you define that sustainable operations are really two different things. And so there's some great programs out there. Uh, Just is a great program that you can use as a guide. There's also a, this is not publicly available yet, but AIA is planning on making it available. And there's a guiding, we call it a playbook that was large from Roundtable with AIA developed, uh, And it gives you a kind of a metric way of helping you define what your goals want to be. And what that means to actually get there. So it's, you know, kind of, is this something that's important to you as a firm? Yes. Okay. And these are, you know, if you're just doing it, here's what you're doing. If you want to be on the high side of high level of achievement, these are the things that you would need to be doing. And that allows you to decide, okay, how do we get, because it's not going to be the same path for every firm.
1: So we have a question here in the chat from Marjan Pearson. Since Moody Nolan is developing integrated and responsive solutions, so how have you extended the collaborative networks, like not only traditional design disciplines, but also maybe economic, behavioral, and social partners in your process? And earlier you mentioned like challenging how to engage with consultants that challenge Moody Nolan. I'd love if you could talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're architects. We do have some specialists on staff, but for the most part, we're looking for, you know, we need help. I guess a, a, an example of that would be on, in you know, the classic on the energy side. You know, if you've got an engineer who does net zero energy buildings and has multiple of them in their portfolio, my expectation is they're coming in and challenging at the beginning. This is what a net zero energy design process kind of look like, at least on the energy side. So we need to be talking about these things in schematic design. We need to be making these proposals to the client and having a basic understanding of return on investment, what that might look like. So those are, I think, you know, if you have, I'll use the old, if you've got uh, consultants who are, well, you let me know when you want me to put a system in my building, you know, that's not the kind of consultant that we're looking for. And I think that applies to our landscape architecture. We have interior design in house, but you know any of the consultants that are wanting to come in and, and provide that kind of design challenge, I think is really what we're looking for. I think the other side is there's more of an interest of clients in engaging community in you know, climate justice, equity. So what does that look like? We're working on a project right now in Columbus For a charter school who serves economically challenged part of the community. And part of that solution is that the contractor is developing a program, you know, again, as we all are struggling with the talent in construction and design fields of getting to these students early. So this is a K-12 and developing a program to engage the students in the school through the construction process. So getting them to have a feel for what it'd be like by not just learning about it in the classroom, but getting them on site. So that is a very, you know, hands-on community-based solution that that we're trying to figure out ways to do in order to really be responsive to the community, but also to our industry in general, because we've got to get talent into this back to my first comment about we got to change. So to me, it's not, you know, me making those sorts of changes because It's got to be getting that kind of idea from the younger generation because they're the ones who are really going to push. It's
1: a great follow-up question to the point you just made. Moody Nolan's growth has been organic, but what would you describe as Moody Nolan's BHAG, or as the term is here, or our big hairy audacious goal? (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, I think the our current CEO is Jonathan Moody, so it's Kurt's son. That goal is we want to be a hundred year old firm. We want to be here. hundred years and, and Jonathan Kirk want, you know, a Moody to still be part of that ownership. So I think that's, you know, so how do you, and Jonathan has done the research, how many architectural firms are a hundred years old and what do they look like? And that was an interest. He gave a little summary of that a little while ago. That was pretty interesting. There aren't that many out there and that still are owned in some form by the family or it's not always just about family, but uh, you know, that close connectivity from the original owners. That's a tough one to do that, to have that, which is exciting for me because you know, I want to be part of that, helping that happen because I believe that you know, Moody and Nolan, were able to provide a vast diversity of services in so many different ways that I think we can do that and it'll evolve. We won't look like we are now, but I think that's the big vision that, that we have.
1: Well, with only five minutes left now, I'd love if we could do a quick round of like lightning questions that relate to, sure. the, we've been asking everybody in our a thousand interviews series. So okay. you answered the first one, but I'll move forward with what do you geek out on? What questions are top of mind for you right now?
0: Dealing with our growth. How do we grow that structured growth? We're, we had nine new people start this week, you know, and we have more coming.
1: How does your work inform your philosophy and vice versa?
0: My core philosophy actually comes from from the Lorax. You know, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. So for me, it goes both ways of, you know, I care about this stuff. So the only way it's going to get better is if I do something, you know, looking for those people who really care to help make change. To me, that's what I'm about.
1: How'd you get your professional start?
0: My dad was an electrician, self-employed. So he had his own company. So I've been on construction sites for a long time. But I wasn't really interested in doing one piece. I was interested in the whole thing. So that really got me going.
1: What's a lesson that you didn't learn in school?
0: (laughs) Great design results are very, very, very hard. It's not just you're not your own client and you don't build it like in school. So it's really hard to do great stuff.
1: What do you like the least about practice and the building industry?
0: Unrealistic expectations, either from the client, from consultants, from even on ourselves.
1: What's your advice to your younger self?
0: Take bigger calculated risks uh, because in failure, you learn so much.
1: And what's a mistake you can't forget and what did you learn?
0: Oh, <laughs> I was in charge of putting a presentation together one time I spelled Oklahoma wrong client called me out on it and luckily this was a client we had been working with for a few months so it was kind of a joke to them so use spell check <laughs> but being cognizant of your current task I mean I think this goes to whatever you're doing check your own work before you hit send reread it have someone else check it uh if it's something more important but uh Having that, uh, you know, somebody reviewing what you're doing before it goes.
1: And we've got Monograph's favorite closing question. This is George's favorite, my co-host, who it's his birthday today. I can't (laughs) uh, miss the chance to say happy birthday to George. What is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you?
0: There's so many of those. Um, I'll say from a professional standpoint, we've got a a person who runs at our front desk and she's kind of our studio mom. I was having just a rough day. She was going crazy dealing with the things that she's doing. And I walked by her. She noticed, she said, stop. She stopped what she was doing. She came around, she gave me a hug. She just said, you look like you need a hug. This was pre-COVID. So, you know, that to me, just that simple act of acknowledging she knew something was going on. She didn't, didn't matter what it was. And she just, she took her own time where she was incredibly busy just to say, it's okay. And to me, I'll never forget that from Karen.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Thank you so much, Alan. Uh, Thank you to everybody who joined us. Architects are calling Monograph a game changer. Principals and Ops leaders use Monograph to run firm operations and manage the back office. It's designed for architects by architects, and we focus on small to mid-sized firms. It helps you see where you are, where you're going to be on all your projects, staffing and billing. At Section Cut, Tom Jacobs of Correct Sexton Partners in Chicago said, it's how mid-sized firms can operate like big firms. So you can start a free trial today at monograph.com or book a one-on-one demo with our team. And with that, thank you so much, Alan. This was such a pleasure. I can't wait to talk with Latoya and Dawn next month to continue the conversation about Moody Nolan, an incredible firm that was recently uh, given the recognition it has earned by the founders and by the continued work of you and all of your colleagues. So thank you so much, Alan, for joining us today. And thank you so much to all the participants who joined Marjan, thank you for your questions. So huge pleasure, thank you so much, Alan.
0: Thank you for asking, Chris, this was fun.
1: Yes, absolutely. Have a great rest of your day and hope to see you at the LaToya and Dawn interview. Look forward to it. All right, bye now. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-size architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.